You're listening to Right Where You Are, hosted by New York Times bestselling author, creator, and speaker, Jason Wright. With inspiring guest interviews and Jason's unique lens on life, this is the place to see the good in the world, to lift and be lifted, no matter your starting point, to make a difference that matters. And we'll do it all together, right where you are. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Right Where You Are. This is Jason Wright. And as we begin, I'll say again, I'm always grateful for two quick things. One, if you would share the podcast on social media or email or a text to a friend or two, we'd be very, very grateful. And then secondly, always appreciate your reviews. If you can rate and review the podcast, particularly on Apple Podcasts, that's where it's really most helpful, even if that's not your preferred platform. Uh, for listening to podcasts, reviews are reviews, and they really help. So always grateful for that. I met our guest for the first time way back in 2014. I wrote a couple of pieces about her remarkable story, including one, by the way, which I believe remains the number one most ever read post or column on my website. Um, I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, My guest is the founder of something called A Reason to Stand. Um, a series of conferences for survivors, and she'll talk about that in a bit. She's also the author of a blog and a book series entitled The Moments We Stand. And in them, she talks about her personal journey of healing and seeking peace after the murder of her husband, Emmett. On March 11, 2011, Emmett was shot and killed in a Walgreens parking lot in Meridian, Idaho. And we'll leave that at that and let her share more of those remarkable details. And you'll learn soon that it's not about that moment. It's about what she has done with her life since that makes her truly uh, remarkable. Uh, She believes that every day is a gift and in each one she has learned to stand. Our guest is happily remarried and they have seven kids, seven kids. They live in Idaho uh, where they've learned together to work hard, play hard, and to make the most of every single moment. And today she's making the most of this moment by being on the podcast. I'm so thankful to have Ashley Boyson here at Right Where You Are. Hey, Ashley. Hey, how are you? I'm so well. It's so great to have you on the podcast. It's great to see you. We use Zoom to, um, to capture these interviews. And so it's fun to see your smiling face and um, it's been it's been too long since we've had a chance to catch up. And I know you're super busy. We're not kidding about those seven kids. They keep you hopping, don't they? I know. They sure do. They're the best. They're the best. They're the best. I mean, what else are you going to say? Are they listening? They're not listening. They're probably not they're podcast listening. listeners. No, no I legit think they're the best. Oh, you you legit? Okay. So you're not just I really nice. do. Okay. Well, <laughs> that's, that's, that's remarkable. All right. Um, so, Ashley, I know you've talked obviously about this a lot. I cannot even imagine how many posts, interviews, podcasts, television, radio, you name it. You have talked a lot about March 11, 2011, but I don't think uh, that my audience today can really appreciate and comprehend just how big your story and your journey has been without starting on March 11, 2011. So what can you tell us about that day? Let's start there. What I can tell you about March 11 of 2011 was I was living so many of the dreams that I had on my check box, you know, when you're 16 and you plan out your life and 
you, you start checking boxes when they come true because you've already checked all the boxes of the things you are going to do. And then Heavenly Father is just going to work it all out for you and you're going to be blessed. That's, that was, that's what I was living. I had, um, we bought our first home and I, um, had just given birth to our fifth baby. And I kind of, I think naively thought like this, I'm being so blessed because I've been such a good girl. Like my whole life, I've tried to do what's right. Um, so that's kind of where I was on March, the beginning of March 11th of 2011. Um, and the, the events that occurred that day are still sometimes like, like, I can't believe this was really my life, but, um, about probably around eight o'clock, my husband, I was on the phone and he, he said he was heading out, which he had done a lot. It was kind of one of those, those times in my life where I was like, everything's perfect, but something's wrong. And I had spent weeks like trying to figure out something's wrong he just he feels off he's distant and I um I was on the phone with a person I had asked to call him because they were a counselor and I was hoping they could get some answers for me I literally was looking like a normal like I was beyond normal crazy person through the garbage like trying to figure out what what is wrong? Why am I shaky all the time? Why do I even went to my doctor? I'm like, I think I have postpartum. Some things doesn't seem right. Anyways. Um, while I was on the phone with this person, Emmett headed out and said he was running to Walgreens and how many nights had been. I was like, he's not going to come home for hours and I'm not going to know where he is. But this time I felt like almost this panic and I held the phone away from my ear and I was like, please just stay here. We, we've got to figure out what's going on. Like something doesn't feel right. I need you to stay here. And he looked at me and said, you know what? Don't tell me what to do. And he slammed the door. And a few hours later, baby was still crying from when he slammed the door. And I was rocking this infant and promising him that everything was going to be okay. And the baby finally fell asleep. And I'm like, okay, I'm alone. I thought about calling different people, but I was like, everybody's just going to think I'm crazy. Like something really feels wrong, but I have no tangible evidence. I don't have a text message or a piece of paper that says what is really going on anyways. So by the time the baby fell asleep, I ended up going to sleep and about one o'clock in the morning, I had a pounding on my door and I opened the door to three normal looking people who asked to come in my house. And my little sister happened to pull up at the same time. And I was like, all right, fine. Everybody come in. And it was literally one of those moments. My, my husband has been struggling for a while. It seemed a few months. He was just different and distant. And it was one of those moments that I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm prepared for this. He's going to need me. We're going to sit down in a hospital room. You got a wreck. Something happened. Like these people have the answers. And all day I've been praying, like, I just need one answer so I can fix my marriage. I can fix this family, whatever's going on. But these people walked in with billions of answers they sat on my little black couch and told me a million answers to all the whys I'd been wondering of what was going on. Um, first of all, my husband had been having an affair. That was the first detail they gave me with a lady that worked for us and her husband had come that night and brought a gun and my husband had been shot once in the forehead and once in the heart. And he died in this other woman's arms. So March, 11th, 2011 for me, I literally don't remember half of the things I did or said probably for months after that. Um, but that was kind of one of those defining moments for me, like three people's crazy crap all just heaped on to me. 
And more than just that story, like your husband was murdered, he was having an affair, he was cheating on you and he died in our arms. More than that story. I think what that day was for me is I was opened up to all these lies about who I was. And I remember sitting on that couch, like, you know, that dude in your head, that's like, dude, you're such a loser. Mine sounds like a dude. You probably have one that sounds like a dude. Some girls probably have one that sounds like a girl, but mine sounds like me. And I just remember like, look at all this evidence. You're a loser. He died in someone else's arms. He was cheating on you. Like you're not worth anything. And that was the hardest part of that day. Cause every time I was triggered to any of those dudes telling me what a loser I was, it brought me back to that pain of that moment. And that's what that day was for me. How long did, did the dude in your head whisper that to you? Or at what point did you just decide to stop listening? Oh, that dude went on for years and years. And I think Heavenly Father had a greater plan because he knew that I was literally dying inside. Everywhere I went, I tried to put on a show that I was fine. Because if I acknowledged it, right? If you acknowledge the dude, if you acknowledge the pain, then your fear is that it's just going to keep growing. Like you're allowing it to be there. So really until I felt like I was asked, like you wrote in your article in 2014, when Heavenly Father said, Hey, you've got to embrace this story. You have to stop running from this story and you have to let it be okay. And the first time I wrote a blog post, I bawled for like 10 hours. And finally I was like, hold on, wait, it's not true. I have a purpose. And it wasn't, it wasn't this story that's breaking me. It's holding on to all these lies that is literally killing me. And just, I guess that, that moment of pressing, pressing, pressing publish on my first post was the first step I took to say, Hey, dude, in my head, I'm not buying it anymore. Hmm. I'm going to live a life and it's not going to be like this. Hmm. That's so fascinating. I, first of all, thank you for sharing the, some of those details, despite us having, you know, spent a lot of time chatting over the last however many years that was seven years. Some of that was new. So I really, I, I appreciate that. Um, but so fascinating to me that it wasn't just that that night wasn't just about you learning the lies of other people, um, including this woman whom you knew and trusted as well. Right. Obviously she'd right. been kind of allowed into, into this, your, your business. Um, but also the lies from the dude in your head, like that, that you had also been echoing back, right. You hear those things about it being your fault, that you don't have value, that you're worthless, whatever the dude was telling you for so long, you then just repeat it. And you just become, we, we all do it. We become this sort of echo chamber of those negative voices in our head that are all lies. We know they're lies. We know that that's not, that's not how God operates and certainly not how God wants us to think of ourselves. So that's a, such an interesting way to think of it, that that night was the beginning of learning the truth, not just about the sort of sensationalized tragedy made for television kind of story that it became, right? This, right. the affair, the murder, the relationship, you know, to the woman and the family and all of that, but but also the lies that had been repeated over and over in your own mind. That is, that is so insightful. And have you, have you gotten the sense that obviously writing about it has been cathartic for you, but what have you heard from people around the world who've been following your story since the first publish 
um, hitting the publish button the first time? You know, at first I like just kind of had to drown them out because I was so overwhelmed with even the vulnerability of doing it. Um, but now as so many people have reached to this story, I think more than, more than just the story, they've reached to the vulnerability that I felt like I was supposed to give with this story, because that's, I've, I've realized as I talk to thousands and thousands of people who've gone through their own trauma, that's what, that's what trauma really is. It's not necessarily the event that took place, but the, the lies you start to believe about yourself, the moment you find out about this thing, or you watch this thing take place and, and trauma is holding you like in chains in your head with those lies. And that's what I find unfound from other people. Like the more we break down their story, it isn't necessarily about the event. It's about hanging on to the beliefs that when you're triggered, it triggers you back to that dude going, Hey, remember what a loser you are? Like, do you see those people over there talking? They're probably talking about why you're such a loser. And, and that's why we get so triggered by outside sources because we haven't found that strength inside of ourselves to say, no, I'm not doing this anymore. You know? So I, I I've enjoyed helping people like through my conference and different things, looking at their story from a new perspective, adding grace to the story and saying, Hey, wait, I was doing my best and it's okay that other people chose bad choices and it's okay to let them own everything that they did in my story. Cause I don't need to carry it anymore. I, I remember uh, hearing you speak, of course, um, in Idaho at, at one of those conferences, probably within a year or so, maybe of us first meeting. And um, I obviously very impressed with how, articulate you were then and kind of walking people through the story and the lessons learned, but, but my heavens, it's so neat to hear you now because I can tell how much you've learned still about yourself, right? The story isn't over. It's not over for any of us that have been through trials and trauma. Even the the simple hard things we go through every day, those are evolving stories. If we allow heavenly father to continue teaching us um, those stories don't have to end. The pain, obviously, we want to move past that and we want to embrace grace and forgiveness. But but I think Heavenly Father is willing to teach us forever from these experiences if we're if we're willing to continue refining ourselves, don't you? Oh, totally. I think that's what we're here for on this earth because it always is going to be something. And we could say, well, now my life's done because that happened or Corona's ruined everything, you know, like there's always going to be something to blame. And all of us have gone through trauma, whether it was something big on the news or it was something like you met who you thought was going to be your future spouse. And then you never heard from them again. Like whatever someone's trauma is, wherever they are is it, it doesn't matter what other people see from the outside. If, if that's affected them greatly. And it's been a moment where they're like, okay, my life's never going to be the same. That was a traumatic event for them. Have you found that sometimes people will come up to you, you know, after you speak, after um, one of your conferences, or maybe somebody messages you online or whatever. Um, and there's this tendency to maybe compare trials, like here's what you went through, here's what I went through. You know, how can you help? Can you help me through my thing? Can you help me learn how to talk to the dude that's also in my head? I've had some of that in the past, and I've found myself reminding myself and others that it's kind of dangerous to compare the trials that heavenly father puts us through. Um, For sure. Don't you think, how do you address that? 
I feel like most, a lot of people who have come up to me after I speak or like you were saying online have like downplayed, well, I haven't been through what you've been through. Mm -hmm. And I, I want to, like, I'm always like, wait, stop right there. You've been through your hard and maybe you wouldn't want to trade for my hard because you don't think you can handle it, which you could, because wherever you are is where you're supposed to be. Right. So I usually say, well, let's look at it. Let's look at it differently because if you just constantly are saying, well, I shouldn't be affected by this to yourself, you're, you're shaming yourself right there with the first words, you know? Mm, yeah. So really going, Hey, this, this hurt in my story. How am I going to get through it? What tools do I need to get through it? And how am I going to acknowledge that it was supposed to be part of my story? Yeah. That it was, it was meant for you, right. That, that heavenly father knew, um, this would happen and that you'd be put in this position and not just that you would go through this, but that you would be given um, and choose to take advantage of a platform to help other people and to bless the lives of other people, particularly I think as it relates to forgiveness. And you know that forgiveness is a huge part of um, much of my writing through the years. All of my books have some flavor or thread of forgiveness in them. Um, and I'm actually working on a nonfiction project for next year that is based completely on forgiveness called uh, Mending Fences. Talk to us about forgiveness and what you learned and how you can take that lesson. And you're a very humble woman, so I know you're going to want to be careful not to make it look like it's too much about you. But just for a minute, Ashley, let it be about you and, and teach us something about forgiveness. Well, you know, when you're little, forgiveness is like, okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry too. Let's, here's your toy. Let's go play. And even when you're not little, like I just kind of carried around like to, to have true forgiveness, you need two people to come together. They both say they're sorry. They move forward together. That was kind of the belief in my head. Um, so this journey of learning a different view of forgiveness has had a lot of pain in it because when you're relying so, so much on another person to help you feel whole through something they did to you and you never received that. It was like, I, it was like, I was walking around just waiting for someone to release me. Oh. Like, please tell me you're sorry. So I can let this go. Please tell me you're sorry. So I can, not think about this anymore. Please, somebody, anybody, even at the trial, I remember looking around the room, like anybody there's both of you are right here. Just turn around and look at me for five freaking seconds and just tell me you're sorry. So I can let it go. And I, I got to the point where like, I couldn't breathe. Sometimes I needed that so badly. And I, um, I did have one dream that was a similar thing that could, I mean, he wasn't there, but I had a dream that I was walking up and this, there was these big piles of something. It looked like mountains of stuff. And as I got closer and closer and closer, I, I like realized it was a bunch of letters and I reached for one and it was like, I just want you to know that I'm sorry. I'm not there for you. And the next one, it was over like for the whole night, I read these letters. Hmm. And as soon as I picked up the first one, Emmett was just like standing there in my dream. And he was like, I just need you to know that I'm sorry. Just read them. And I did, I read them all night and I woke up in the morning and I'm like, okay, I, I can do this. Like I can move forward. And it wasn't that easy because that you still walk around with so much hate inside of you when you are yet to forgive and, or you don't know how to forgive. Um, but kind of like that same time period when I started writing 
I got on my blog with almost like a, okay, Heavenly Father, you want me to write about this crap? Okay, I'm going to go. And I started writing and it was just like, like all the hate and all the pain just flowed out onto my computer for the first time. Like I had kept it all inside so bottled and so under the rug where we could just move forward, not think about it. Let's just go. And this time I just wrote and wrote and wrote for probably two hours. Like you want me to tell the world what it felt like anybody who reads this is going to know of all the, the, the friggin' bullies and the people who hurt me and all the things that were done to me and no joke. I'm like typing it out. I feel like I'm almost done. And my computer goes just like shuts down. And I was like, okay, no, 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 no. And I turn it back on, get back on the blog. This was before I even knew you could like write it in a word document, copy and paste. And I get into it and it is totally blank. Mm. And I'm just like bawling. I'm like, Heavenly Father, I need to tell people if anyone reads this ever, you asked me to do this. I did it. I wrote how much it hurt. And he was like, okay, that was good. We got that out. But I want you to start over and, and look at it from a different angle. And I was like, look at it from a different angle. There's no other angle. These people hurt me and I'm hurting all the time and I can't breathe ever. And no one's sorry. No one has said they're sorry. And he was like, okay, just let's just start again. And that's when the first post came to my blog. But I, I mean, it's supposed to auto save blogs are supposed to auto save. So if that happens, it's supposed to be there, but Heavenly father knew that's not who I really was. That was my pain talking. And that's kind of forgiveness. I think when you look at another person and wait around for them and wait for them to take you from the chains that you've been locked in, you're basically telling Christ that his job is worthless. You know, his, his job, his promise that he is going to help us through with the atonement, with grace, he's going to be there for us. It's not just when we do something wrong. It's when something has gone wrong and we need it to be made right. It's when we need to turn to him most and asking for him to step in and be there for me on those days when I was so angry and I was so full of fear and I really didn't know how I was going to move forward. It wasn't because anybody came and told me that they were sorry. It was because he asked me to own my story, to let those emotions be freed but also realized that the forgiveness part of my story was about me and him and nobody else. That is so perfectly said about you and him and nobody else. You know, I have, I have been um, in a couple of situations, one in particular where I, Oh, I can just relate so well to how you have just taught that principle because I needed to forgive someone it was hard to forgive it it cost me uh sleep and health and money and and i just this sort of ate at me for years and i was waiting for that i'm sorry right i kept thinking to myself i will feel so much better if this person will just have the same kind of awakening that I've had, because I had that where Heavenly Father said, it's time to let go of this. Like, this is not yours to hang on to. This is, the Savior has owned this, has paid for this, he'll cover this. You don't have a right to think about this for two more seconds. Just be done, forgive, move on. 
And because it was so freeing for me, I thought, oh, well, this person will have that same experience if they will go through this for me. It'll be so great. And then we'll hang out and go to lunch again. And um, it didn't happen. And it didn't happen. And it still hasn't happened. And I finally went through something sort of similar to you where I could just, I could feel Heavenly Father saying, this is um, this is about the two of us. And he's got his own relationship with this person and his own process. And, and frankly, that person's own journey path to forgiveness is none of my business anyway, right? That's, that's between him and, and Heavenly Father and our Savior. So thank you for, thank you for sharing that. I can see why um, people have been so attracted to the blog and to your conferences and to your book. And of course, we'll link to all of this in the show notes because it's one thing to have the experiences that you've had. It's another to be so completely transparent and vulnerable and say, look, here's what I've been through. Here's what maybe we can all learn together and just no holds barred. Here it is. That's not easy to do. And yet somehow you've been doing it now for seven, eight years. Yes. I, that's so crazy. It's been that long. It is. It is. And you've learned obviously so much. So actually memories are to me like these mental scrapbooks, right? And some memories fade, others stay really clear and crisp. And that certainly has been true in, in my life. And maybe someone listening right now can relate to that so for you, going all the way back to, to the night that your life changed forever, is there a memory or are there a couple of memories that are the most colorful that have not changed or been faded at all by time where you can close your eyes and you're right there again? Yeah, there's like almost like a, when, as soon as you say that, I get like shots of these couple of places I I was during that of course on the couch with those people I literally don't remember exactly what they said but just like bits and pieces but the memory feels like I literally am sitting on the couch with them if I go there but after they left and people were coming like family and different people were coming in my house I remember feeling so like dizzy and claustrophobic in the room was like in slow motion that I ran into my room at one point and I got on my knees and I, I literally was like, okay, heavenly father, I've seen this in the movies. I need a do-over. Hmm. I need you to rewind. <laughs> I, I need a chance to be mad at him. I need to be able to choose what my life is going to look like. Like these three people just chose what my life is going to look like. And that's not fair. Because most people, when they find out their, their spouse is having an affair, they slap them across the face, they get to yell and scream, do whatever they want, and then get to make a choice if they're going to fight for their marriage or if they're going to walk away. And I don't even get to do that. And I just remember sitting there with my pity party in the silence, like, give me a do-over right now. And I sat there for a long time and it was really, really quiet. And for a second, I thought, what if he's not real? What if I really am just going to do this all by myself with these five kids and try to figure out the rest of my life? What, what if that is now the new, the new knowledge I've been given for a split second? And then I remember this, like, almost like a light 
like my closet just kind of lit up for a second. And let's talk about, I said, I'd been taking all those lies on that couch, but I walked into this room and it was almost like, okay, this is kind of what I picture grace being now that I've lived through this stuff. It was almost like when you're walking through a really dark tunnel and you just see like a little glimmer of light, you don't, you're still not out of the tunnel for a really long time. So have a long way to walk, but it was almost like this, um, light at the end of the tunnel. And I literally felt these words. It was like, Ashley, you're still you, you are still going to be the Ashley. You were always meant to be, you're going to forgive. And all of these truths of the fears that I had were going to be forever. It, this little glimmer. And then it, it went away and I walked out into the mess and it was dark for a really, really, really long time. But kind of from that experience and from many others that I had during the months that followed, I've, I've realized like grace isn't like I thought it was on my 16th birthday. If you do this checklist, I'm going to give you this checklist and you'll be quote blessed, right? Mm-hmm. Blessed is in those moments when you are really pondering whether or not you're going to do this alone for the rest of your life. I want you to know I'm here. I can't take this away. I can't. I mean, I'm going to carry you to the end of the tunnel, but you're not going to know that it's going to feel like you're carrying a ton of bricks on your back at all times through the rest of this tunnel. But at the end of this tunnel, there is going to be light. I need you to know that. And I will never forget that moment. That moment for me gave me hope that even though everything was more heavy and more dark for a very long time, there was going to be light. There was going to be days that had maybe even more light than dark at some point. And so how much light is there today in your life? It seems like you're just filled with it. <laughs> you know what? I I would say most of my days are light, not because nothing bad happens, but I think I'm finally in a place to go, okay, Heavenly Father, I trust you. You have never done me wrong. And last year, my daughter actually went to an eating disorder facility and the process to get her there was one of the hardest decisions I've ever made as a parent. But I remember praying as I drove away, sobbing my eyes off, just praying that I knew that he knew where she was, that though I felt alone at that moment, she felt even more alone and that I knew that he was going to send her angels and that they were going to protect her. And some of those moments that you think are going to be impossible to live, we live through them. We do. And what's the worst that could happen? You know, the worst that could happen for me, I feel like it happened. And I'm sure I'll have more of those that I'm like, oh, this is the worst that could happen. But, but I know that I'm not alone. And so the days and the hard things that come, I, I focus more on how do I connect back to that light? And that's through prayer, through, through journaling. Sometimes I'll even write a letter like, dear Heavenly Father, I need help. And I try to really hear him and what he would say back to me to give me the tools that I need. I think light is a choice that we make. Um, there are hard things. There are struggles. There are physical pain, pains that are going to come. There's struggles with children, struggles with spouses. All of those things are going to happen to us. But um, we can choose to keep walking forward and we can choose to keep choosing light. Choosing light. That's a, that's a lovely little phrase. I like that. It is, it is always there, right? I mean, it's, um, I'm, 
sitting here in my little makeshift studio in Woodstock, Virginia, looking out the window, we're we're experiencing um, some of Hurricane Ida making its way through, and um, and it's overcast and gloomy, and we've had a ton of rain today. But I can still look out the window and see that it is light. Right, the sun is not gone just because I can't always see it quite as brilliantly as I might as I might like to. Um, I know we don't want to spend a lot of time on the other players here, but I I'm certain that that our audience today is curious to know where the other players in the story are today. Do you know, do you care? What would you say to them? Do they, do they occupy much of your time and energy and mental resources? Probably not. <laughs> um, I know Rob is in the, the man with the gun is in jail. He, I think his option for parole is in like eight years, maybe about when Titus graduates and he's in fifth grade. Um, I'm not sure where Candy is and I haven't really kept up on what she's doing. Um, and as far as Emmett goes, I've been really trying to, my kids want good memories of Emmett because kind of the legacy that he left was a lot different than I'm sure the one that he'd want to leave. And so we've, um, when I, when I think of Emmett, I really try to remember the positive that I can share with them because they're still half him and I want them to see positive in themselves. So that's where we are. I, I pray for all of them, honestly, like I put their names in the temple. I hope that I know that God's grace is for all of us, you know, wherever we are. Hmm. So tell me about your Today, you're happily married. You've had a couple more. So what's life like today for Ashley? Um, life today, you know, I haven't done a lot of conferences. COVID has kind of come at a really mm-hmm. good time for me, I'll be honest, because I've had two babies during, since my last big conference, I've had two babies. I have a two and a half year old named Kennedy and a baby girl that's eight months old named Kyler. Tyler June. Mm-hmm. And I am loving just spending my days doing preschool with them and being a mom of young babies again. And it brings me joy. It brings you joy. And isn't that why we're here? I mean, that's, that's, that's right. the point, right? Is to, yeah. is to find joy and then to remember joy. So professionally, what, what do you see yourself working on as, um, Kids get a little, a little bit older. You do have this huge audience of readers, both of your your book, your blog, people that have you know paid to hear you speak on stage. What do you see yourself sharing with them in the in the months or years or decades to come? You know, I want to start doing conferences again, and I want people to come. And it's such a cool unified group of survivors because they all have a story that um, has become a traumatic event for them and to watch them all like rally around each other also lifts me up so much and speaking though I always thought I hated speaking in public has really become I feel like a gift that I've been given so I would really like to speak more um I don't know I feel I feel the spirit I feel closest to heavenly father when I'm, when I'm sharing his truths. Yeah. Amen to that sister. And there, 
you know, as someone that's done a fair amount of speaking as well through the years, there, there are these other alternatives, right? I mean, there's Zoom and there's a podcast and there's, you know, social media posts and videos or whatever, but, but yeah, there is nothing, there's nothing quite like being in the same room with people and sharing a message that you think um, heaven means for you to share. And, and not that we're wonderful and, and, you know, any better than anyone that's listening to this story. It's simply that it's our story and who better to tell your story than you, right? Yeah, for sure. I um, really would love to start working with parents whose children have been through traumatic events. That's something I've been really thinking about a lot lately, just watching my kids grow up and having tools to hand them to help them get through so many things that show up later. Yeah. Something to keep an eye on, right. As your, as your kids continue to grow and, and yeah, they'll, they'll ask questions. It sounds like they already are in terms of getting a, having a better understanding of the, the, the fullness of, of Emmett's life, not just being defined obviously by, um, you know, those tragic choices toward the end. Well, we arrive at my last two questions. Our loyal listeners know what they are. Every guest gets them. Uh, and I'm super excited to hear what you have to say. The name of the podcast is, of course, Right Where You Are, W-R-I-G-H-T. Isn't that clever? Um, I want to know what that, that title means to you. There's obviously no right answer, no wrong answer. But what does Right Where You Are mean to someone like Ashley? Right where you are kind of has a few meanings as you say that for me. Um, The first would be whatever your story is, you are right where you are. You are where God puts you to learn and grow and become a better version of yourself. And with that being said, it's so hard when you go through hard things not to look back and go, I just want to be the person I was before this. God doesn't want you to be that person or you wouldn't be right where you are, right? He wants you to become a refined, even better version of yourself. Um, Another thing that I think of when you said that, I think of so many people that come to me, well, I, I was the other woman. I did create a chaotic ending for a marriage. And I was this, I was this. I have so many people of all walks of life that come mm. to me and say, God couldn't love me. Look where I am. There's no way he loves me. And the statement right where you are, I, I picture a God saying, you know what? Come to me right where you are, wherever you've been, wherever you're going. I love you. And I want you to come and know that I love you no matter what. And I think that, I don't know, that's empowering to think of a God that really does love us right where we are, who believes in us, who who wants the most for us and who doesn't hold us back because of who we've been, but he loves us right where we are. Mm. That was good. That might be, that might be, that's gotta be one of my favorite answers to that question. That's so, so, so good. Um, And I agree completely. He never, he never gives up. He um, never runs out of grace. He never stops forgiving. Um, just wants us to take a step or two in his direction and then see what miracles he will work in our lives. All right. So years from now, 
long after this podcast and this episode have faded from people's memories, we talked about that earlier. What is the one thing, if you could just pick right now, one thing for every single listener of the podcast to remember about you, about your journey, about these experiences, about the lessons learned, what would that one thing be? What is Ashley's one thing? My one thing would have to be that I would want people to remember that they are enough, that if they are the one sitting in their car with a gun, thinking that their anger will solve every problem, if they are the one that's making bad choices and looking outside of their home for reassurance that they're enough that go and make things right at home. But also like if they are that wife who or husband that just found out that their husband or wife was cheating on them or, or, or looking at them like they're not enough, they don't need that answer from anywhere but God. And when we get that from him, knowing that we're enough doesn't just become a, a roller coaster of hoping other people are going to reassure us, but just a foundation of who we are. Who you are is enough. And if it's not enough for certain people, great. It's time to move forward. It's going to be enough for God. Just keep showing up. Keep making things right and putting your family first. Now, that would be quite the legacy, wouldn't it? To know at the end of your, at the end of your journey, at the end of your life, at the end of your career, um, if people looked at you, saw your name, saw a post, saw a poster, saw a billboard, saw a book, saw a movie that had your name on it, they would think, I'm enough. That was her message that I, that I was enough. That's, that is pretty powerful stuff. Thank you for reminding us that we're enough. There's no one listening right now, including yours truly, who does not quite often need that reminder um, that we're enough. So thank you. You're a gem. I am so grateful that you gave us time with the podcast today. I know that you have a whole house full of children to care for and a million things going on in your life. So I don't take time for granted. Thanks for giving us some today. You are the best. You are welcome. Thank you for joining us on Right Where You Are. For more information about Jason and his projects, visit him online at jasonfright.com or on social media at facebook.com slash jfwbooks or on Instagram at jasonfright. And be sure to subscribe to Right Where You Are wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This has been a production of Right Media Productions. Copyright 2021 by Jason F. Wright. All rights reserved.